My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're here this morning. This is week 35. Uh, Week 35 in Mark. I was telling some folks this morning we're almost halfway through uh, chapter 4. Yeah, so don't extrapolate. Uh, It'll scare you. Don't do that. Wouldn't be good. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to uh, Mark. Preferably chapter 4. I mean, you can go wherever you want, but that's... That's where I'll be this morning. And we'll start with our question that we ask each week. What is God doing in you through His Word from the portion of Mark we have studied so far? So what is God doing in you through His Word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Yes, ma'am. Oh, a desire to be a hearer of the Word. It's unusual, isn't it? That, that we stop and listen for things. I have a tendency to want to talk more than I want to listen. Um, and then when someone else is speaking, I have a tendency uh, to want to listen to my own thoughts as opposed to someone else's words. That's good. What else? What is God teaching you through His Word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? And this is the open book part, so you can flip back and look. And <clears throat> yes, ma'am. Oh, the preposition circle. You didn't like that, did you? Yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah, where can you go with, for, to get another copy, Darla? OurSundaySchool.com. Yes, that's exactly right. And so this week, not in Mark, but in another chapter, verse 13, Jesus said, Wait, 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 time out. You're telling me that stuff we learn about the languages in Mark can apply to the other books of the New Testament? That's crazy. Wow. Who to thunk it? Yeah. So maybe what God is uh, doing in you through His Word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far is uh, a bigger perspective on how all this stuff fits together. Yeah. <laughs> for throwing it away the first time. <laughs> well, thanks for being so candid. It's, uh, <laughs> Uh-huh. Well, there's, there's a few people in your life, and I hope you have some, because if you don't, you are missing out on one of God's greatest gifts. Uh, but I hope you have some people in your life that when you ask them for feedback or ask them for a question, they will give you the truth. Um, and if you don't, you should, like, I would encourage you to, to seek some out. And if you don't know Miss Darla, wave Miss Darla, she will be that person for you, yes. Um, 
And she has done that for me even when I have not asked for feedback uh, and needed to hear it. And that has been good for you and for me. Uh, and especially for my beautiful bride back there. So lots of positive things there. All right, so we're in Mark chapter 4 today. Uh, and to get to Mark chapter 4, you have to go through 1, 2, and 3, where we get introduced to Jesus. Uh, we see his, some of his teaching. We see a tremendous amount of healing. We see him engaging with these uh, folks that are on the fringe that come to ask questions and poke. Uh, and the last few weeks, we have really just been with who? Who's he been around the last few weeks? The disciples, right? The core. Right? So we've gotten to see a bit of a different side of Jesus than the Jesus that is public and outfacing toward everybody else. So we're going to read, uh, I'll read all of Mark chapter 4, and then we'll come back today and uh, walk through 13 through 20. And he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables." so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, 
because the harvest has come. And he said, with what when we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? He's really an amazing person, right? I mean, just just step back for a second and just go, like, wow, <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. So from time to time, you guys send me emails and ask questions or make comments. And uh, I got an email from Josh this week, Josh Landers, and he told me that he was not going to be here this Sunday morning. So he had a um, he had he caught me after Sunday school last week and mentioned something. So about last week's text, verses uh, ten through twelve, specifically verse twelve, where uh, Jesus quotes from Isaiah six. Um, he said, uh, you mentioned in our homework last week that rabbis would often quote a passage and expect the hearer to know the next passage. You guys remember me talking about this before? Right, this is the art of rabbinical questions. So when you ask a question, um, so Dave asked me what 2 plus 2 is. What is the square root of 16? No, that's not the right answer. The right answer is, what is 8 minus 4? To which I would say, what is 1 plus 3? You see what we're doing? Do you have to understand the answer? You better. <laughs> you have to understand it so well you can rephrase it. And sometimes, so ask me again. What's 2 plus 3? Good. So we're going to the next thing. What is next? And if you've never watched rabbis talk to each other like this, it will drive you crazy. But this is how people learn really, really well. When you can take, and there's all kinds of educational uh, philosophy behind this, but when you can take individual discrete parts and combine them and understand how they're combined and then take them apart and put them together in a different way, it's a next level of understanding. So when Jesus says from Isaiah, they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven, what we might want to do when the best teacher that's ever walked the planet quotes the Old Testament is look at the next part. And when you look at the next part, that's uh, what Josh says, the next passage is where Isaiah asks, how long, O Lord? The paraphrased answer is until the end of all things. 
And the homework this week was to think more about Mark 4, 10 through 12, which goes well with the discussion above. And my original question that I was going to email you a few weeks ago, but decided to sit on was, why not let everyone understand? Why not explain it to everyone? So that's what I want you to have hanging in the back of your head as we walk through today. Because Jesus has very specifically said to large numbers of people, incredibly confusing things. Right? So here's the parable, and they didn't get the explanation. The disciples and a small group around them got the explanation. So we go into verse 13, and we start looking at the explanation. So check your handout out. So we're on page 110. So verse 13, and he, who's he? Jesus. And Jesus said to them, do you not understand this parable? And what would their answer have been? They didn't answer here, but what would their answer have been if they had said it out loud? No. And aren't you glad that Jesus didn't like press them and embarrass them? I mean, that's not what he was after. He's after their understanding. Do you not understand? Do you not know this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Now, what do you think goes through their head right there? Wait, there's more? And it almost implies, like the I can read this in a way, and I don't want to read something into the text, but I can read this in a way that implies that this is an easy one and harder ones are coming. Right? Because if you can't get this one, like, what are you going to do when the rest of them come? And what are they going to do when the rest of them come? And what's he going to do? He's going to explain it. And when they forget the answer, what's going to happen then after he's gone? The Holy Spirit's going to help. Yeah. They have an exceptional plan that they know nothing about that is about to be uh, brought to bear on them, which is wonderful. Um, I heard somebody say one time that God's doing like 10,000 things in your life right now and we're aware of maybe like three. Um, And I feel like that's where they are right here. They have no idea what's about to happen. Because just a few months ago, they were fishing, some of them with their dad. And life has totally changed. Now we're playing Q&A with a rabbi who's drawing thousands of people. That's a different world. So do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? All right. So the sower, and again, this is the the same uh, word that we were looking at back earlier in chapter 4. There's not a noun here. It's just a verb. It's a present active participle. The, The sowing sows, right? So two verbs in a row makes a good sentence in in Greek. Um, in English, you would correct your child if they said that, but not so much. So the sowing sows the word. And what, what kind of word? There's a word in front of word. The, right? It, it's not any word. It's not random words. It's not haphazard words. It's a very specific word. And the word is uh, logos. Uh, and this is one of Jesus' names, actually. One of his um, ways that he is identified in the New Testament is the Word. <clears throat> Verse 15, and these are the ones along. So, Darla, what does that mean? Yeah, along is uh, uh, para, where is it at? Yep, beside, right here. So these are the ones beside the path. It's our preposition circle. 
It's very, very helpful for understanding where things are. So these are the ones along the path. So he's going to explain what the purpose of the uh, seeds uh, planted, uh, scattered, uh, sown along the path are. Where the word is sown, so present passive indicative, right? When they hear, so this is subjunctive, so this is a possibility. When they hear, and uh, in your English Bibles, you don't, uh, we don't translate this, uh, the Satan, when they hear the Satan. But in Greek, there's actually a definite article there in front of uh, Satanas, uh, and it is a very specific enemy. This is, not, this is not a general term for bad stuff as a, as a theory or as a concept. This is a very specific uh, person. So when they hear uh, Hosatanus, uh, Satan, or the adversary, the accuser, uh, immediately comes and takes away. So this is present active indicative. This is an active work on behalf of the adversary. So he comes and takes away the word that is sown, that has been sown in them. So does that make sense? So do we have opposition? Yes. Is the opposition real? Yes. Does the opposition have a name? Yes. Is Jesus scared? No. I, I don't ever like to talk about the devil or Satan or whatever you want to call him uh, without immediately following up how much more powerful God is. Um, I think that we can do our children a disservice when we talk about demonic activity and the adversary without immediately following up and saying, yeah, but <laughs> let me tell you about, let me tell you about the Lord. This is a whole different level of authority. So uh, Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them, verse 16. And these are the ones sown, present passive participle, same kind of concept here, uh, on rocky ground. The ones when they hear, again, subjunctive, the possibility here, when they hear the word, uh, they immediately, immediately receive. Again, this is active. So the, the response is active on both these first two. They receive it with joy. And what does joy mean? Yeah. It was like, it was good. If you had to have a synonym here, I'd pick the word happy. Um, and there's a, there's an attempt to sound really theological in Christian circles today that says, well, like joy is this special thing that only given by God and happiness is like a man-centered thing. Uh, no, they like 95% overlap in their actual definitions. It's, it's pretty much the same thing. It's, it's okay. Um, we don't have to hyper-spiritualize everything. Because um, when you look at the actual words in their original languages, they were synonyms in lots of different places in the Bible. So just saying. Uh, but they receive it with joy. So do we get excited when we see somebody receive the word with joy? You ever seen this? Yes? You ever seen somebody get really excited and then, like, taper off? You've seen this curve, right? So in, in my brain, it's a, it's a math curve, right? So it's like a zoom, and then... And you're like, well, that... Like, that was... Yay! And then, like, what happened? What happened? Verse 17 is what happened. And they have, here's a statement of fact, an indicative, they have no root. Which is an interesting next two words. In what? 
in themselves, right? And you might think, well, you know, we're supposed to be rooted in Christ. Yes, we are. Uh, but there's an element here of maturity, of development that is not present. They have no root in themselves, uh, but endure. And this is an active, right? They're, they're enduring for a while, for the occasion. I'm ashamed to say there's been periods in my life where I can look back and I can say that there was endurance for an occasion, for an event, or to impress somebody, or to do something. You endure for a while. Then when tribulation, the word here is pressure. Um, I was going to have uh, Jay Arnold and Matt Velosin, like stand on either side of me and squeeze, which is probably a bad idea to start with. Uh, but I'm going to take it as God's will that they're not in the room right now, that I should not do that. So there's that. Uh, but when pressure or persecution arises on account of, what's the highlighted word after on account of? Dia, right? Through. So I want to make sure, there's like two really important things I want us to get today. Um, Jessica's going to ask us a question and make a comment at the end of class. For the second, but this is the first one. Um, Where does the persecution and the tribulation come from? Persecution, tribulation arises, what? Through the word. Identification with and following this will result in persecution and tribulation. If there is no persecution and no tribulation, we are not living in a way that our lives are going through this. This is really straightforward. This is going to bring tribulation and persecution. And when you tell people that, like we don't stand on the street corner and like, sign up for tribulation, sign up for persecution, come on. And the reality is that those are just circumstances. Because the reality is, uh, when tribulation or persecution arises, my Jesus is strong enough to endure. And the Holy Spirit does not leave. And God the Father's plan is not thwarted. They got this. So when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, how long does it take? Not long, right? Immediately they fall away. Like, well, what does this word mean, Jim? It means fall away. It means to trip up or stumble, to entice to sin, apostasy or displeasure. The idea is that they're not doing this thing anymore. Right? There was pressure and persecution, and that was too much. And what is the figurative language? What is the analogy that Jesus is using in this parable? So there's seeds, and seeds grow into what? Plants. Right? Can you put a lot of tribulation and persecution on a newly sprouted plant? What happens if you do? Yeah. What happens to the leaves? Yeah, they fall away. They, they, they don't recover, do they? Yeah, no harvest. So they fall away. Right? 
You're like, Jim, this is an, an encouraging Sunday school lesson. I know, right? <clears throat> Verse 18, and others are the ones sown, present passive participle, among, so what's among? Among is ice, right? Into, so they're sown into, into thorns. Is that the best place to sow seed? Let's find some thorns. No, no, it's not the best place to sow seed, right? They're sown into thorns. They are those who hear, again, just active, active hearing, active hearing the word, but the cares, the solicitude. I love it when uh, the definition is 10 times more complicated than the actual word you're looking up. Anybody know what solicitude means? Cares, yes. Uh, worries, anxieties, yep. Uh, some, so it did me good to, I had a 7th grade, 8th grade English teacher in middle school. I went to look up a word one time and I got a definition that was like more complicated than the word I went to look up. And I was like, well, why'd they use that definition? And she said, well, Jim, the guy that wrote that book knows a lot of words. And he's tempted to use them from time to time. I was like, oh, that's a good perspective. Yeah, all right. So whenever I see that Dr. Strong uh, defined a word this way, I'm like, yeah, he was just really smart. This is the way this works. Uh, the cares or the anxieties, if you have a different translation, or the worries of the world. Is there anything to worry about in the world? Yeah, right. Let's just be real. But the cares of the world uh, and the deceitfulness, the deception of riches. I wonder if I have any. Oh, I do. Good. Um, sometimes I don't have any cash. So I do. So there are several different things that the Bible talks about that can deceive us. This is one. Well, it's probably not that one. Oh, I don't have anything bigger than a, a one. Oh, I have a five. That's not enough. Uh, th- this can deceive us, right? Because I can put my hope and trust in. If I have enough of this, then I'm safe. If I have enough of this, then I'm comfortable. If I have enough of this, then we're secure. If I have enough of this, then the future is guaranteed. If I have enough of this, then I can overcome the cares and the pressures and the anxieties of the world. And I promise you that is not true. But this can deceive us, right? The deceitfulness of riches and the desires for, I love this Greek word, other things. It just, it just means the remaining ones. Like anything that this didn't cover. It's like the everything else kind of word. And the desire, it's not just for riches, it's peri. It's, it's around. So I want to have around everything. I want to own, I want to encompass, encircle, have mine, everything else. So let me read it to you this way. Sorry, get this cash out of the way. Uh, but the cares, the worries of the world, and the deception of riches, and the desires to own everything else. That's sad, right? Because when I weigh everything that the world has, everything that the world has to offer against the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this outweighs it every time. But we can't see this super clearly sometimes. And we can see all the bright, shiny stuff, right? As I say this, as I'm, my watch is buzzing at me, right? 
Does this make sense? The deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in, and what do they do? They choke the word. I have never thought about being strangled to death with dollar bills before. You ever thought about that? Being strangled to death with money. That's an odd thought, isn't it? All of our stuff choking us off from the ability to produce. They choke. It's present active. There's an active work that the enemy is using to do these things. And it proves what? Unfruitful. So don't lose the gardening motif all the way through, right? Because how much, how, 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 uh, how fruitful was the uh, rocky ground? How much fruit? None? Okay. How much fruit from the sown among thorns? How much fruit from the sown along the path? Is not a good batting average so far. Are we done? No, there's one more. As Jesus many times does in his parables, the best is last. But those that were sown, again, passive participle, on the good soil. And if you hadn't already heard it 37 times, I would tell you the story that Gary tells about good dirt and bad dirt. But you've heard it, so just put your brain there and then come right back. So the good, the beautiful, the valuable soil, because there's stuff that's not valuable, are the ones who hear, again, this is active. And did you notice that the, there was an active component to all of the seed, um, all of the soil's response? But here we go. The ones who hear the word and accept to accept, to admit, to delight in. And here's the kicker, and they what? They bear fruit. That's right. And then we get to the craziness, right? Some 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. You're like, that's a lot. We had a garden growing up, and uh, I hated the garden uh, because it was outside, <clears throat> and uh, because it was outside, <clears throat> and because the sun was outside, and there were little critters outside that would crawl on me when I went to go and do my chores, which was to harvest from the garden. Now, as a child, I thought my mental image of the garden was about the size of this room, I think it was, I mean, I'm just, it was just massive. I mean, in my head, this was just, it was ginormous. Um, a few years ago, I went back to uh, the house that I grew up in and found that the garden was actually about this big, <laughs> which is shockingly small to say, right? But my dad uh, did not like using the tiller. So what he would do is that each year he would till and till and till and till, and there were no rocks in that part of, because it was just a part of our yard, right? Because we lived on a 220-acre farm, so 
It's part of the yard, right? We just don't mow that part. Uh, so we would till it up and get all the rocks out. And it was weird because it seemed like there were new rocks every year. It was odd. I still don't understand this. But there are new rocks every year. And we would pull out all the weeds and anything with thorns. And we would pull out anything and everything so that there was just good dirt left. Right? You have good soil over here. And I don't know that he was trying to explain this parable to me with all these uh, tens of thousands of hours of child abuse. Uh, but... Uh, it was probably like 20 minutes a day. I don't know. It, just, it seemed like forever. Um, but he believed in a product called miracle Grow, which I am convinced is why I am an inch taller than he is. Um, tallest guy in my family for several generations. Pretty sure it's the miracle Grow. Okay? And Dad did not believe in the recommended uh, dosage of the miracle Grow. Uh, he believed in three to four times as much miracle. So we would, like the, you know, you're, you go get um, uh, fruit or whatnot from the grocery store and you're supposed to wash it off before you eat it, right? We like scrubbed because you could see the miracle grow, like on the action. I mean, it was just, you know, we got to do a little work here. Right? Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's my mom's face. Every time we would bring stuff, she's just like, well, you just lay, and he would grow things. I mean, there'd be like, uh, we'd have squash, and they'd be this big. And you're like, we, you can't even eat that. He's like, yeah, but it's awesome. Like, <laughs> y- yes, it is. Um, and then he learned how to do it with uh, eggplant. I don't know how many of you like eggplant. I do not believe eggplant will be in heaven. Uh, I believe it will be served on a regular basis in hell. Um, it is awful. It is horrible. You should not try to... It's just And he would grow these eggplant just to the edge of where you could eat them. Like, this is as big a size as you could get. <clears throat> and I uh, was talking to him one day. We, our preacher had preached on this passage. And we, he came to the 30-fold and the 60-fold and the 100-fold. And I leaned over to my dad. preacher was finishing the sermon. I pointed at the 100-fold. I was like, is that what you're going for? He was like, yes. <laughs> I said, all right. So, Jessica... What is your comment? Most days I feel like I'm um, the soil that has the thorns. And I'm trying to hear the word and he's telling me. Would you like me to correct you? You're not in the weeds. You're not in the thorns. You're not on the rocky ground. There is enough of a history here that I can tell you that you're in the good soil. Okay? So what does Jesus Christ tell us to do where uh, when he talks about about relationships with him? Abide in Christ. So put the spade down. Okay? Um, Abide in Christ. See, the seed... Be careful how I say this. Who's responsible for the 30-fold and the 60-fold and the 100-fold? Who? He is. How do we know that, Miss Darla? Yes! Because he covers that right there. This is what I love about the sequencing of Jesus and his parables. Because when you step and you stop and you think, like, oh, I think I could run, I think I could go this way with that. No, 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 no. Come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. The farmer knows not how it works. 
<laughs> I love it. We've been farming for thousands of years up to this point. Thousands of years. And Jesus is like, the farmer knows not how it works. And the farmers are going, yep, that's right. <laughs> it's like dirt and seed and water and light. Huh. All stuff Jesus talks about in parables. That doesn't seem like an accident. He's responsible for the good soil. He's responsible for the seed. He's responsible for the light. And by the washing of the water of the Word, it seems to me like it's all Him. So put the spade down. He's got this. So, with that, um, we finished like 47 verses today. Right? Not 47, but more than normal. Because we've been doing like three, and we did more than three, which is really cool. So, one of the things that I'm going to uh, encourage us not to do as we go through the parables... And I meant to say it when we started chapter 4, and I completely forgot. I went back and listened to the lesson. I couldn't believe I forgot to say it. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage us to keep ourselves out of the parables as long as we can. To, to do the praying, to do the hearing, to do the thinking, to do the talking, to do all of these steps before we put ourselves into the parables. Because the first thing we want to do is we want to say, I'm the sower. Are we the sower? No, we're not the sower. At, at best, we're the soil, and I'm not even sure we're that. Right? Maybe. So, this is where I would play my The Bible's Not About You right? Uh, video. So, the Bible's not about us. The Bible's about God, communicating lots of amazing things. And I hope you do not miss next week. And you better do your homework for next week. So, next week, your blank for the day is uh, 21. Next week, we'll start with Mark 4, 21. Who's teaching next week? Thesis teaching next week. That's right. You don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss that. I am very excited about that. So uh, she'll be starting with verse 21, probably get through around 25. I can't imagine she'd leave that undone. Uh, she might. That'd be kind of interesting. So we'll see. But uh, homework for next week is pray for help in understanding Mark. Hear Mark multiple times. Think about Mark often, day and night. Talk with somebody dead or alive about Mark. Share your insights about Mark and then invite a member and a non-member. Uh, and if you want to see any of the stuff that we put on the screen, you can go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all the pages that Darla throws away. Uh, and doesn't care about uh, until Jesus convicts her of her sin and she comes to a right repentance. And uh, it's the only one you've ever... Th- I, I can only imagine somewhere in your house there's like a... like There's got to be volumes of binders at this point. I don't know. So maybe there's that. All right, so at each of your tables there is a weekly update. If you would uh, take a look at that, lean in, engage, uh, make any updates. Uh, you are not allowed to sit by yourself at a table during this exercise, so find a friend. Uh, and then uh, after you have prayed as a table, you are dismissed to go in and to worship this one who is responsible for all of it. So thank him this morning for it. Thanks for coming to Sunday School today, guys. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.